page 111, repetition. There are tools of transformation. The art student draws a hand, a face, the curve of a back over and over, quickly and slowly. Gradually her consciousness changes and the hand, the act of drawing and the persona drawing, I mean the person drawing become transparent. Unity is restored to the world. At the moment, this process is complete. The student is no longer an apprentice. Some Tibetan Buddhists undertake a foundation practice in which, among other tasks, they perform 100,000 elaborate prostrations, usually over several years. Now, this might seem quite useless and of no benefit to oneself or others, yet it too offers a way to enter life utterly. One Lama laughed and said that the first 10,000 or so prostrations he did were not any good. So he threw them away. Then he began to do the more simply, more entirely. The days and months continued and the trees became vibrant. The eyes of the people he met grew vivid with their story. Repetition is narrow and if undertaken mechanically stifles, but it can also allow us to go deep. In meditation, we repeat ourselves day after day, coming back to stillness in the breath and again and again, realize that we haven't yet experienced it completely that it is ever more subtle. Repetition, when done right, drifts almost imperceptibly into vast new realms, but with a slowness that allows for deepening, beauty, the appreciation of the neglected moment. It stabilizes our relation to eternity. Any good relationship, marriage, a love affair, friendship, Teacher and student depends as well on just this sort of steady, attentive repetition. Common events like having breakfast together accumulate significance. Repetition teaches us that the things we do are not confined to their practical value, bowing, or even lifting a fork from the plate makes us aware that simple acts share a common timelessness with the sound of the spring wind and of the branches banging on the gutters. You know, another key element in design is variety. So just having repetition creates boredom, right? And having mm -hmm. variety creates chaos. And so having the two together makes something alive. So, you know, they're like, within, even within our body, we have repetition, like we have skin, but then we have different shapes. So it's much more interesting. But anyway, maybe the next step is going to be variety. The next step. Repetition may seem a succession of small moments, modest and uneventful. Yet repetition has also a certain cunning. It forces us to buy it a while. The passage of time is so gained, alters us. We learn the small arts of attention and how to love the domestic moments between the big moments. We are soothed. soothed. But the road of repetition does not just make us calmer, more docile to ourselves. The step-by-step -step rhythm opens out in time to a surprise. For repetition makes us vulnerable to the apparently random epiphanies that occur, even if we have no interest in spirit. The boy immersed in his life stands amazed on the side of the gorge while the hills dance. The 
the woman steps out of doors and dissolves into a field of flowers. Such events appear in our lives as gifts, apparently random. If spiritual openings are accidents, as a number of teachers have pointed out, then the spiritual work of meditation makes us accident-prone, susceptible to the imagination of eternity, the wit of God. In matters of the spirit, no road is ever straight. When first we begin to open, the vastness can be frightening, and so we regress, sag back into the familiar darkness where we can be close to the earth and rest. There we abide, gathering invisible resilience until once again the involuntary compassion appears in the midst of suffering. <laughs> and we step back onto the stairs of purgatory and the steady repetitions of spiritual work. What do you guys think about this repetition bit? Well, there's um, repetition can kind of put you into a sort of a trance. And um, except that with this, you're trying to stay aware instead of just falling into, um, I don't know, like a trance is like you allow things to happen. But then also there seems to be an aspect of having to stay aware that you're letting things happen. Yeah, I'm wondering where it's mind dumbing. Like I once visited an uh, 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 auto plant where they were assembling cars. Mm -hmm. and you know, and just watching people do the same action over and over again. And it, it, it um, reshaped their bodies because they were using one side of their body more than the other. And I could see it, it was really scary. I could see that when I looked, I was up on a, like a balcony looking down into the factory and mm -hmm. I could see that. But, but that's not the kind of, is that a different repetition? It seems so. I think so, because you, know, you talked about the artist who who's drawing the the hand over and over again, or whatever you know. You would hope, Malen. Do you have an idea about this repetition? Not really. I think just uh, for uh, meditation and spiritual practice, I think it's uh, really relevant to make repetition. As is something special and new, at least to me. Cody? I think uh, like where you're going with it, like repetition enough to where it creates like muscle memory. And it just, you know, it just becomes like second nature. Which in my opinion, I, I don't, I, I think that's a pretty good thing. Um, and I guess in certain uh, scenarios, but it could be detrimental. It could be beneficial. So what's the, what's the first thing that comes to mind in terms of the military and your training and repetition? I mean, that's, that's why we train uh, for repetition. So we could get muscle memory. So we could know how to react in certain situations especially are very stressful because because if you don't do it that way then and you hesitate then that split second hesitation or that that thought like oh well what am I what am I gonna do uh that could be that moment uh, that that split second between life or death or serious injury or whatever. So that's that's why, you know, we practice. Well, I mean, where we train, 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 just train, train, train. You, you never stop until, I guess, until you retire or get out or whatever. 
Okay. Just why the door within begins to open is a mystery. But if we follow a spiritual method, it does happen. We're thrown into a vastness as into a sea. Since we're each unique in what we bring, there are many different ways of being cast upon the infinite. But always we meet something greater than ourselves. Beyond all, we hold important. When we are utterly ready for it, this vastness is no longer frightening, but comforting. It is far from the common experiences of life that it seems to hold nothing at all. To be great, nothing, to be a great nothing, and that is the Buddha name for it, emptiness. The consolations of emptiness. For the listener who listens in the snow and nothing himself beholds nothing that is not there and the nothing that is, Wallace Stevens. Body and mind fallen away, the fallen away body and mind, Dogen Kaigen. The stillness of meditation can become so profound that it takes us back before our personal history, before our ancestors made their long journeys across continents and through caves and into the dream that made the world. We find ourselves in vast space. All about there is nothing, just as if we stepped out onto the tundra in winter. Our equanimity is large, impersonal, unruffled. The bottom drops out of our lives and the transparency of the world is revealed. It's really beautiful to watch someone who's done the same thing over and over and over again. You know, like one of my favorites was a guy who would clean fish. And uh, if you went fishing, you would bring your fish to him. This was in, in, um, in, in Oregon on the coast. And he, he would then clean the fish and then he'd throw the fish out into, into the bay and the seagulls would come and catch the fish in the air. Cool. Uh, so that, that, that repetition was like a chain reaction because the, the seagulls probably knew, knew he, was, he was going to toss that. <laughs> well, their repetition too. Yeah, he, he would drink every night lay uh, you know and close the bar down and then be there at three or four in the morning cleaning fish his name was slim he was a big guy huh <laughs> he didn't have a lot of weight to him i think it was just alcohol There was a photographer who shot every day of his life, you know, for 50 years. And I remember watching him raise the camera to his eye and just how beautiful that was. It's really nice to see someone. Malen, who do you think of? Someone who's, who does something day in and day out. It's just so beautiful to watch. Besides artists, I, maybe doctors, but I don't know if every day. And certainly animals like squirrels. Kim, I'm curious, what was it about that auto, the factory assembly line that was unsettling as opposed to, you know, you saw Slim throwing the fish, but seeing the factory workers was, it seemed like it was an unsettling experience. Well, they had become machines. Uh, and I guess you could say Slim had become a machine, but, but they, there was no individuality. 
Um, it was, so I've never been outside of a school really. And this was, so the part of the shock was being in this totally different environment where, um, you know, minds were not getting developed and people were just used to do this. Um, Slim was in this very, very beautiful place, physically, you know, beautiful place and doing kind of his own thing, the thing that he had fallen into or whatever, but uh, I, you know, in a way you could say, oh, it's exactly the same, but I had a different reaction to it. And I had one, one painting teacher who basically destroyed all his work on a certain date in 1958 or something. And then from that point on for 50 years made the same painting over and over again. And not exactly the same painting, but he, he called it the same painting. You know, there'd always be little changes. And I always encourage students to do the, you know, to work on the same idea and see what, where it would go rather than throwing away ideas because they didn't go anywhere and then going to the next idea and then throwing that away. And, you know, nothing works out when you initially do it, right? So is a part of, uh, I guess it's a redundant question, but is a part of repetition uh, basically like to be aware of those uh, minor changes or is it, you know, to, to do it exactly the same way the years or, 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 or I'm just trying to get understanding. In this, in this I think at a, at a certain point, you, you're not trying, you're just doing it. Right. It just, it's just doing itself. You know, like, like, I suppose you got good at cleaning a gun, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and at first you have to think about every movement. And then you can do it with your eyes closed. But my son was that way with RC. You know what RC cars are? Radio controlled cars, little cars. Yeah. 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 And, and so he, he had one car that was completely taken, taken apart and all the parts were in a box. And this kid came over to buy the car from him, but the car was in a thousand pieces. And then our electricity went off. <laughs> And my son, like in the darkness, reassembled this car and pieces were flying up in the air. All of a sudden the car worked. It was, it was, wow. but he, had, he had taken it apart and put it together so many times. It was like That's that. Cool. Yeah. And a lot of people, someone was talking the other day about how in a, in a sense, uh, you know, like a, a meditation intensive after two or three days, you get tired of the same thoughts going through your head. And they just wear out. Mm. So something wears out when mm. you're doing it over and over again. You know, anything or, or, I mean, just to watch someone who, who, who cracks eggs all day long. You know, to, to me, I have to think about doing it and where I'm going to hit it and it's never quite right. But some people can crack 10 eggs, you know, just like that. Whatever the and and oh. not only that, you you probably you probably assume that you'll get bored, you know, after cracking so many eggs. But they just probably do it like it's second nature. Yeah, there's room. They make room for other things because it becomes second nature. Well, yeah, but but I know we watched this one movie, and Trouty likes to talk about it, where the guy is putting pillowcases over pillows. And they kept asking him, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you thinking about? And he kept saying, I'm, I'm, all I'm thinking about is putting the pillowcase over the pillow. So mm. it's, it's not going somewhere else because you know how to do this so well. And I would think, 
so like a diamond cutter would be like that. Their mind would be on what they're doing, even though they've done it so many times. But you started to say something, Emily. So it's like a foundation then? It's I don't kind know. of like a, a place of rest, perhaps. Most of what our body does is, is repetition, right? Not things we're telling it to do. <coughs> I was just having that idea from the beginning of your life, your lungs and organs and all that make the same repetition over and over until you die. Okay, who's reading now? I think it might be you. Yeah, this is you can. This time of clarity, is that where we are? Yeah. Is an echo of the moment of thick darkness when we confronted the inertia of matter. That was the first stripping away. But this time, when we are stripping down, it is a release. We have acquired strength and can now examine what is happening rather than just suffer it. We see that the physicality of matter is not the very foundation of the universe. Beneath it is what, what gave it birth, the mystery underlying even darkness from which the earth itself with its mountains, oceans, buildings, animals, people, and clouds is born. The traditional Buddhist name for this mystery is sunyata, usually translated as emptiness. But emptiness is a feeble term for a realm so noble, vibrant, and cleat. Oh, and clear. Here is innocence in its deepest aspect without stain or disturbance. It is a kind of solution in which everything is dissolved. The solid melts away, our small schemes are surrendered, and the universe takes its Sabbath rest. Our sorrow and our struggle both vanish into nothing. All is still and full of strength. Like Wordsworth, Wordsworth's London, when he saw it from Westminster Bridge at dawn. The city, this city now doth like a garment, where the beauty of the morning, solid, fair. In the silent realm, our customary language breaks down and metaphors, which abhor a vacuum, gather around. The emptiness is the host of which we are every moment the guest. It has been called the sword that kills our delusions, the cloudless sky, a jade palace stretching for a thousand miles, the Arctic snowfields. In one tradition, the experience of emptiness is called the realization of no self, while in another tradition, it is known as the discovery of our true self. Our small lives have opened into the infinite and into belonging. It is a great release to know down to our toes that we are each of us waves of the ocean and that each wave is entirely ocean and can never be other than ocean. Our small lives have also ceased to be so emphatic, firm and rooted as they were. If we are ocean, we are also wave, passing, insubstantial, foamy dreams. The empty realm is not a place we may live in, <coughs> but if we want freedom, we must pass through it. It is the ga gate of spiritual initiation, the destination to which our sincerity, our foolishness, our suffering, our meditation and prayer have led us. Even the most commonplace things seem dreamlike and magical. An old Chinese poem gives us this description. 
in a realm that has been dug, water from no source is rippling. Someone with no shadow or form is drawing that water. Here, the common life is still common, but it, re it rests recognizable on a mystery. If we, oh, okay. Awesome. If we stumble upon this place early in our work, before we are ready, it may have a desolate air. If we're not ready, if we have not yet turned our lives toward attention, if we are unused to the way meditation and prayer loosen the hold of our routines upon us, we can become afraid. Some people feel the boundaries slipping away in fear madness. What has happened is, is that our views of the world are no long, world no longer cohere, cohere. So a certain psychic robustness is necessary to accept this experience, to allow ourselves to enter it fully. A woman walked in to see her teacher, said, everything is gone. There's nothing left. And burst into tears of loneliness and fear. She was in no danger, but felt that she was. Her fear meant that she was not quite ready. Her quickness had outstripped her strength. Whenever we are blocked in this way, we just need to wait, to take breath, to gather steadiness until, again, the silence appears. Space becomes visible. And we can allow it, accept it, witness it, underlying all that we are. Then the stillness is experienced as calm. The thoughts in the mind stop. Nothing is necessary or urgent. Here is another woman's description of such a moment. It is as if I am sitting in a cathedral on Easter Sunday. The struggle and tears are over. The doors of the empty tabernacle are flung open. It is a quiet waiting. There are no trumpets. Nothing has been reborn yet. The vision of emptiness is not just the awareness of the flimsy unraveling thread of life. It is more a glimpse into the dream through which we move. We see there is nothing to stand on. Because there is nothing to stand on, because we have lost all guides, an eerie beauty seeps in. When everything is taken away, the remnant is eternity, the emperor worth conversing with. It seems then that we are always one with eternity, for in our current form, we are its thoughts and feelings. One man fell into the empty kingdom when he went with some friends on an afternoon hike. He was not prepared and had no idea what was happening. So the opening seemed to him a kind of a crisis. I was on Mount Tamapius when it came over me that I wasn't there. It shocked me. I had no training, no preparation. I was jumping around on Mount Tamapius, hitting my body, trying to convince myself that I am me. Something in me was saying, you are not you. I wasn't there. I looked at the redwood trees heard the siren going off at the bottom of the hill. I was saying my full name. I am myself, I said. And some voice inside was reassuring me, saying, this is okay. It's okay, my friend. This part of me was just peaceful. Everything was all right. The, real, the realization of emptiness replaces endurance as the healer of the night. We ask ourselves, who is it who suffers? Who is it who exists? And we cannot find the bottom of ourselves. We cannot find anything to stand on. Instead of being devastating, 
this clarity is refreshing. It becomes clear how much egoism there is in our despair, which fails to realize both the seriousness and the absurdity of our situation. This very this sounds very much like surrender to me. I agree. Mm, yeah. Is that a is that a good thing or a bad thing? Yeah, no, I think it's well, a positive. Yeah, in this case, it's a good thing. Yeah. And what are you because surrendering to? The emptiness, because he, the guy, the guy on the mountain, he's in so much turmoil until uh, he realizes that he, he's not. What would you say? Like he's not there. It's not just him on the mountain. It's... Yeah. I guess we surrender to um, giving yeah, up our story. Giving up our stories is a surrendering, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like uh, people need to do when they're dying. You know, they give up the story that they're immortal. Yeah. They Some even people, give up the story of, of that they have to hold on, defend themselves, you know, it's like letting go. Go on, Emily. Hmm. Oh, I was just going to keep reading. I didn't realize you. Oh, okay. Thank, thank you. Good. Yeah. Um, some people who feel desolate inside are attracted to the notion of the emptiness of things because it seems to mirror their lack of inner organization. But true emptiness is not psychopathology. The nothingness at the bottom of the world is the creative emptiness of the divine. It is full of possibility and has an impersonal flavor. We may use poetic phrases to describe this realm, but it is not something we make up. Even within a meditation retreat, the experience of things falling away can be surprising. Perhaps it is something for which we can never be entirely prepared. One minute we are immersed in suffering, the next moment a kind of grace strikes us like the red light of morning. One woman was meditating cross-legged when her knees began to hurt badly. She didn't give up though. She sat very still and focused her awareness. Although with other things in her mind, the pain surged and receded and surged again. Then suddenly the pain lifted completely. Her mind too seemed to lift and expand. She said, the walls in my mind seem to have disappeared. It is like looking out over an ocean that goes on forever, a quiet ocean, all the way to the horizon, everything is just space and more space. There is no container, no border, no skin. Such emptiness is the taste of eternal life. It is not that it satisfies our small self-centered wishes when confronted with eternity. We no longer care about such longings. But to have tasted it even briefly is enormously sustaining. It sweetens our human loneliness. We know that we too participate in the world's dream, that we too have a true part in the life of the universe. Everyone who pursues the meditation path with diligence eventually comes to know the spaciousness. It operates in difficult times, in ordinary times, in good times. It is not limited. Here's a story of how that peace can be present in the darkest of the moment, in darkest of moments. One night in the city. Wait, wait, wait. A man. Wait. 
I was on a little farm in Mexico and the grandma was in the corner of the, the barn um, sitting on the ground. Um, is it called shucking corn? Take, you know, take, and, um, you know, she could probably do that all day long. I remember her, but, but there's something sad too about, or I always thought there was something sad about doing the same thing over and over again and not thinking, you know, where you're kind of, um, you just become a machine. So, so there seems to be the two sides of it, doesn't it? Repetition. And Is even it, art, artists who do the same thing over and over again, um, they're not growing at all. But go on, Emily. I mean, is it that they're repeating mindlessly or could it be partly your perception of it? Like your judgment of it? There could be an aspect of that. I mean, that's always true, isn't it? When we're observing something, is it in here or out there? Yeah, it's something to be considered. I don't know. Yeah. We can't know really, but like, but it's good to consider, I think. I think you're reading now, Emily. Ah, okay. Oh, no, I think Cody, were you going to keep reading? Well, well he, yeah, Cody read the two paragraphs. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, or you go ahead. Um, one night in the city, a man heard cries and ran to help. A young friend, almost a brother, had been shot and lay bleeding on the gray pavement. When everything that could be done was done and the ambulance called, a group of friends who had run to the scene stood there, just waiting keeping company with the now dead young man and his world. The man looked at the street, the purple blood, the lights. To wait is good. It gives time for the world to turn and something else to come along. But this waiting extended and spread out. Time had stopped. There was nothing to do in the whole universe. Everything was simple, complete, still. Each thing had equal weight. The man felt himself utterly present. He was not at odds with his aspirations and his feelings. His grief and his love of life were not contradictory. There was no gap between him and death and his companions and the tears and the street. And his grief formed itself into a question. Why can't we see this all the time? Why can't we live like this? So there's, there's kind of a famous story where there's this priest at the San Francisco Zen Center, and he's still there, and he found someone dead in the park. And do you know about this, Emily? Oh, and every day for a week, he would go and he would sit with this man. And then um, finally, at the end of the week, I guess someone else saw him and saw the dead man and, and you know, and, and then the teacher who's actually been in Austin, he, he, you know, had to confess that he'd been doing this all week and he took a six month leave of absence or something, you know, it just, but he, um, his practice is very, very deep. And I think that, yeah. You know, the whole thing happening again, he might have done the same thing. It was just this man needed someone. And I guess with um, in the Day of the Dead ceremony, well, maybe Melen knows about this. There's that period of time after you die before where your soul is just like loose in the universe. Is that true? In the Day of the Dead, Melen? I'm not sure. I'm sorry. Oh, that's my understanding of it. I, I heard a talk about it at the um, Mexican Museum here. Mm. It depends on the region of the country. They have different beliefs, but I'm not sure. 
and and so it's taking care of the soul until it finds a play a new place does that make some sense yeah but it's not general here that idea i see hmm. Okay, I guess we go to the next page. The, this incomprehensible peace under duress is a taste of the empty world. At such a moment, there is nothing to be done and this nothing has to be enough. The intimate attention of the man and his companions is their blessing on their friend. So irrecoverable, so new, is that the word, irrecoverable? So mm -hmm. newly dead. <laughs> Our boundless awareness seems as if it will last forever, but it does not stay. It is itself still a kind of waiting, a sparse, pristine consciousness, the deep form of the sleep of nothingness into which psyche falls along the road of the dead. In the inner life, this emptiness is not the journey's end. During the winter, we can trust that spring is also there under the ground waiting. Small tokens do come, a swelling daffodil, a few bees stumbling among them. We see emptiness still underneath our very turn, the great engine of life producing all that we are. But just as Psyche is raised up for her wedding days, <coughs> we are drawn away into a human brightness. We jump into the void with only our courage and the beauty of the world to sustain us. Let, let's stop here and, and since it's a new chapter, okay? And do our yeah. 10 minutes. Okay. Why don't I see Cody? I'm right here. It's in the dark. In the darkness, in the emptiness. Is that a different place, Milan? It's a kitchen, yes. Oh, but same, same place? <laughs> yes, still the same. Well, what do we have? I have nothing, so. <laughs> Emily? Uh, I think I also, um, there is a space where I find it very easy to reach emptiness and feel the flow of the universe. Um, and it's, really hard to recreate that in everyday life. Um, it's when I'm listening to a certain type of music. Um, so when I don't have that music with me, I often have that same question, why can't we do this all the time? That's all I have. Cody? Um, I, I didn't write anything, but I'm kind of uh, in awe of what uh, Emily, uh, Emily said, because I wonder the same things also. Like I can go for a run and I'm in that place and uh, or listen to like jazz or something and I'm in that place. But like she said, it's, it's pretty much impossible to recreate because outside of that, it's like your mind, what, what, what they call it, the monkey mind, is, 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 in any time outside of that, it, it's always monkey mind and mindless opinion. I guess 
This is about <clears throat> learning how to cultivate that when it's not easy to cultivate it, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, as of late, I've been, uh, I guess I've been in a better place with it. I, I guess I've kind of learned to not really overlook it, but and not really ignore it, but it's, 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 it's just not as cloudy as it used to be. That sounds good. But like when I like when I go on a run, uh, like like today, I ran like fifteen miles. I mean, not fifteen miles, two miles in fifteen minutes. And you know, I noticed in the beginning I was comfortable. I was, you know, I picked up speed, and I was just. It was it was just like the run was uh, meditation, and because usually uh, I get in my own head, and I'm I'm kind of like telling myself or like oh wait uh what's going to happen when i get to the hill a mile away or two miles away or you yeah. know i'm, I'm kind of anticipating it and then it gives me anxiousness and then by the time i get there i just stop and uh but like I, like lately i've been been more comfortable and more mindful of you know the actual run so it, i guess it's like a a, a meditation type type of thing for, for me, you know. For me too, when I run, I, I feel it's kind of meditation after a certain time. Mm-hmm. And one thing I one thing I stopped doing is uh listening to music with words. So I like listening to jazz, you know, and it kind of just plays the background and and I guess it's that repetitiveness that, that we talked about. It, it kind of builds that that muscle memory and it just it, it just helps for the moment. Okay, so here's Kim's. That's the drawing. <laughs> That's awesome. That's the drawing. <laughs> Repetition is not my favorite thing, yet it is my meditation and my friend. How could it be so fascinating to sit still and do nothing? What a waste of time. And yet I treasure that time. And if I only had a few hours to live, I, I just want to be still. Maybe I could be so still that I'd merge with eternity my skin would fall off and then my muscles and fat and then my bones. <laughs> Show us the picture again. So, anything else? I just wanted to ask you, uh, because there was this two contradictory ideas about repetition, when you mentioned this uh, teacher, art teacher that burned out his work and then started making the same picture once and again, um, that sounded like a positive thing. It, it sounded like a what thing? Positive? Yeah. Do you want to see one of his paintings? Yes. And I wanted to, to ask you, what do you think? So there's really a lot of uh, variety. Mm. But There seem to be like endless possibilities when you really limit what you're going to do. Sometimes, yeah. yeah. You know, like Shakespeare and sonnets, he repeated the form over and over again and, and the, um, the rhyme. Mm -hmm. 
what is it called rhyme like iamic pentameter whatever what it was yep. is that called the rhyme mm -hmm. um the, but uh within that um it gives endless possibilities well i saw a lot of people who who as artists who um keep trying to do something different you know every day that would work that, that hoping it would work and then it doesn't and then it doesn't there's a um there's a character in Albert Camus' book, The Plague. It's a, I think he's a novelist and he was working on a sentence throughout the entire, there's a, the story is about a town that um, has to be closed off, kind of like COVID where everybody has a plague. And so there's no, nobody coming in or out and um, all around is death and dying and suffering except this artist lives through the plague and all through the plague he's just writing the same sentence but in a different using different words he's trying to find like the most perfect sentence um and i remember my high school art teacher saying the point of that was that he persisted he really tried to find the beauty in that limited constraint so that's neat kind of, i i haven't read that his book but I don't know if I still have it, but it always was like looming on my shelves. It's probably there somewhere. Okay, well, thank you all. Thank you. Yeah. See you uh, sometime in the future. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye.